Bibles, turn in 2 Timothy to chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Thinking back to uh, the end of chapter 2, you remember we talked about uh, Paul's letter to Timothy and the end of this chapter being about being prepared for usefulness and we talked about the vessels of honor and dishonor that are mentioned uh, in the end of chapter 2 and, and how we must purge the vessels of dishonor but seek out the vessels of honor, how that we flee and follow, flee from youthful lust and, and questions and foolish and unlearned questions. We need to avoid those things because all that does is cause trouble, and yet we need to follow after certain things too. We must seek those honorable vessels and seek the things of the Lord uh, that are profitable and then the last thing that we looked at was at the very end of that chapter about having patience with prisoners that while it is true that we need to divide and separate from those who are um, part of those vessels of dishonor we need to also be very careful to always be patient because we don't know what God's plan is and so we need to be patient with patient with those who are uh, as it describes in the scriptures opposing themselves and have been taken captive uh, by Satan Um, and it says in the scripture peradventure that God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth so we don't know what the plan of God is and we always need to be patient with those who uh, are as the scripture says opposing themselves so then we get to chapter 3 we're going to read 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 and then get into our message this morning it says this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For, these, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Now as Yanes and Yambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate, concerning the faith but they shall proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was so second timothy uh, chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 the title of the message is perilous times war in the last days perilous times war in the last days So in this passage today, Paul is reminding Timothy and the Ephesian Christians, and you and me by extension, of the context in which we live and minister as Christians. And you'll notice that in the very first verse of this passage, Paul begins to speak about the last days. Now, when we hear the last days, I think sometimes in our mind, and and this is just kind of second nature, we say, well, he's talking about what's going to happen at the end. He's talking about things that if we're around right before Jesus comes back, we might get to be a part of. Um, and 
but the real truth is he's not speaking about times that are in the future from us right now, um, immediately prior to the Lord coming back. The last days is a term which refers to the whole course of time between the first advent of Christ and his return in his second coming. So we are in the last days. These days are referred to repeatedly in the scriptures as the last days. Hebrews um, 1, 2, many other places we could go to. I'm not going to take time to do that this morning, but um, there's plenty of places that can show that we are in the last days. And so uh, he's speaking to Timothy about the last days because he wants Timothy and he wants the Ephesian Christians and he wants you and I to uh, understand the character and the context of those days. So uh, the first thing we want to look at is in verses 1 through 5. Uh, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Then he goes into this list. And I'm not going to read that whole section again, but we'll go through it in just a minute. Um, so our first point this morning is the battleground, the battleground, the character and context of the last days. So we want to look at the context of where our life and ministry will be played out. And Paul describes it in verses 1 through 5. So what are we to expect? What are we to prepare for in terms of the context of our life and ministry? And Paul speaks to Timothy about the character and the circumstances of these last days and the character of people in the last days. And he says this is something we need to know about. So this know also. In other words, Timothy, I've told you all about being a servant. I've told you that there's going to be persecution. I've told you that you're going to have to serve. I've told you to avoid certain things. All of these, these commands that I've given you in chapter 2. And now I want you to know kind of the context in which that's going to take place. We're going to get a little more detailed about the background, about where this is all going to take place. So the aim of a list like this, and this is a little tedious. Is this fun reading to, you know, read through all these negative things um, that men are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents? I mean, you just keep reading, you get more and more depressed, right? So the aim of this is not to just, you know, grovel in evil or point the finger at others around us or think of different people on each line. You know, I know, I know that person, I know that person, I know that person. That's not the point. Uh, the aim is to understand the fallenness and the varieties of evil that we need to be able to spot in ourselves and in others with a view to overcoming them and avoiding them. So that's really uh, what the context is in a list like this. And, and it's, it's hard, as, and we're going to go through every one. I think that's important. We'll try to make it as brief as possible. But uh, we need to understand that in the last days, and, I, and I'll go ahead and say this, I believe these things are going to get worse and worse. That's what I believe. Uh, I think uh, Paul even and tells us that over in chapter 4. Um, uh, in chapter 4 when he says um, that they will continue to wax worse and worse and worse, these things are not going to get better, but they're going to get worse. So uh, that's, that's what I believe about it. But nonetheless, we are in the last days, and, and I think you'll see as we go through this list uh, how these things, and I think just reading them on their surface, sometimes they just kind of all run together. So as you're going through that list, you're just thinking, man, this is a bunch of bad stuff. And, and that's okay. Um, that's a surface reading, and sometimes that's okay. But really, I think it helps to unpack, unpack what's there and see what does this stuff really mean. So we're going to go through this list, and we're going to look at what Paul says is going to happen in this time that we live in the last days for men shall be these things and the first one is lovers 
of self. So narcissistic. I'm going to give you at least one synonym for each one so that we can kind of explain. So lovers of self. In other words, all about me. I think that one has gotten significantly worse just in the last few decades. Probably the last half of the last century, there was a big push all about, you know, it really ought to be all about you. Humanism began that way earlier, but I think it came to its culmination late in the last century, and people are now all about their self. Whereas in the older days, I think there was more of a contextual, um, like a family ideal and a community ideal, but our culture has become more and more and more about what's in it for me. Um, I have to be part of a lot of uh, different fundraising campaigns, both at school and, and on this board that I'm on and some things. And, you know, one of the things that people talk about in fundraising is people a lot now are what's, what's in it for me. That's what they're going to do. They might write you a check, but they want to know what's in it for them. They, you know, if you're out fundraising, it's just one little um, kind of symptom of this being a lover of self, narcissistic, all about me, not about serving others. You know, Christ said he came not, um, he, he came to serve others. He, came, he didn't come uh, to serve himself. He came to serve others, and we should have that mindset as well. So we need to avoid being a lover of self or being narcissistic. The next one is covetous, lovers of money, or just a, a, a uh, a synonym for that would be materialistic. I don't think I have to really say anything on that about the culture or, or what's going on right now. I think we all kind of understand that one. I mean, we live in a materialistic society. It really is a lot about, you know, what can I gain? What can I uh, gather up? What can I save up? We're a very materialistic society, especially here in the West. I think that's very true uh, in Western culture and Western society. A very materialistic culture. Um, I think this is one reason the prosperity gospel has taken root so well in our country. Um, they, they like to hear a gospel that says, man, if you do these certain things, you're going to get wealthy. <laughs> you're going to have a lot of money. Uh, things are going to go your way. Uh, and I think that's because of uh, this being lovers of money, materialistic, this covetous nature. Uh, next, it says boasters, loving to draw attention to their accomplishments. So, a lot of these definitions that I'm giving you, what I did is I went back to the original language. I looked at the original Greek word. And sometimes I'll give you just directly from the lexicon what these mean. Uh, sometimes it's just kind of a, an interpretation. But on this one, um, loving to draw attention to your own accomplishment, boasters. Um, what about social media? You know, do you think people like to put it out there now and, you know, they, they love to get the attention? How many likes can you get? How many, how many views can you get on social media? We like to put things out there. Do we put the things that look, make us look bad? I, I don't know of very many people that do that. And so they skip that part, and they just put the positive part out there. So that's just a new invention. doesn't mean social media is all evil. It's just it shows that you know, a lot of times we like to draw positive attention to ourselves, and, and that can be uh, a negative thing. And I think the next one goes hand-in-hand hand with that, proud, arrogant, uh, with an inflated view of oneself, and, and those all kind of go together. There's, there's kind of groups here, and you'll see that as we go through it. So I'm not going to say a whole lot about that one, arrogancy, you know, an inflated view of self. Um, once again, that goes a lot with lovers of self. Those go hand in hand, uh, so not a lot there. Blasphemers, and this one, you know, if I'm just reading it on the surface, I think these are people who speak against God, who blaspheme I, that's that's what my mind goes to it's not really what the word means the word means just verbally abusive in any way it means um, wanting to be verbally hurtful 
The definition from Thayer's Greek lexicon says, speaking evil, slander, reproachful, railing, or abusive to others. So slandering people would go in this category of blasphemers. Has anybody ever said something about you that's not true uh, to get other people to not like you? Uh, you young people, I know you know that. Um, that's what happens uh, in schools all the time. So blasphemers are those who are verbally abusive or slanderous. Um, disobedient to parents. This is one that I think is really important for us to unpack a little bit because I think it's true in two ways. One, it means what it says, um, that disobedience to parents is wrong, and it's a bad thing, and you need to be obedient to your parents. So children, that's a special message to you. But the rest of us don't get off the hook on this one. Uh, really, the mindset behind it is just a rebellious spirit or a rejecting of authority. In other words, we don't like sometimes to be under authority. The uh, human nature uh, tries to get us to rebel against any authority that God places in our life. That could be um, someone God has placed over you at work. It could be someone that God has placed over us in the government. It could be um, in the church. It could be in your family, any of those things. And so a good example of that is being disobedient disobedient to parents but really what's under consideration there is the rejecting of authority that has become really an epidemic in american culture uh, there is really a very strong rebellious spirit in our culture here in this country uh, next it says unthankful or ungrateful assuming that we have a right to the things that we get no american would would feel that way would they that we just have a right to certain things in our life, you know, that, that our homes and, and cars and food and all of those things are just expected, uh, that they're not blessings, but we just expect them. Unthankful or ungrateful, unholy, indifferent to attitudes and acts that reflect the value of Christ or being more like the world, not being set apart, I think would be the easiest way to say that one. Without natural affection, that's unable to sympathize or empathize even with our kindred. Um, that's the true meaning of the word. So it's basically somebody who can't even be nice and kind and, and good with their own kin, with their own family. That's without natural affection. Uh, that is, that's a scary place to be. So not even to strangers, but even those of our own family, we would be. Another uh, synonym for that one is heartless. So without natural affection is heartless, having no compassion or empathy even with those who are our kindred. All right, truce breakers, unreasonable, unwilling to forgive. So you're not somebody who can sit down and have a conversation uh, with someone and be expected to follow through on what you say in that conversation. Uh, you are unreasonable. You can't be uh, reasoned with uh, in a normal way. And I think these two go really close together. False accusers, uh, that's someone who distorts what others say and do. So this truth breakers and false accusers go hand in hand. This is one that I really didn't know exactly what it meant till I, till I kind of checked behind the scenes. Incontinent means without self-control, a slave to the appetites or intemperate. So that means that you can't deny yourself of the things that that you want that are not necessarily good. We can't control it. So that could be any of the appetites of the flesh uh, that, that you speak about. It's having self-control, being able to rein one's appetites in. 
um, also rampant in our culture today. Fierce, um, basically just being brutal, just being dead to all tenderness. You know, when you have an advantage, you take it fully. Uh, you really, it's kind of, to me, it's like, you know, turning the knife. It's, uh, it's just really sticking it to those who you have an advantage on. That's what fierce means. Despisers of those that are good. I don't have to really explain that one. That's, that's someone who is opposed to good men and good things. Um, traitors, treacherous, people who break promises for their own advantage. Disloyalty. That's what traitors, the, the number one synonym for that one is disloyal. Uh, people who are not loyal to their brothers and um, kind of conspire with their enemies. They uh, leave them and, and conspire with their enemies. Heady. That one's an interesting one. Uh, reckless. And the word actually means somebody falling. This was really interesting to me. This heady means somebody who is kind of the idea of it is if somebody's standing up and they just face plant. They just fall Head, the word would be headlong. They fall headlong and just fall on their face. That's what that means. And so what it kind of means to us is being rash or reckless, being extreme. You know, some people would say today, man, that guy's extreme. He just, he goes out no fear. You know, he just, he's rash. He is um, reckless. All of those words uh, have that meaning of being heady, of falling forwards and going headlong into things that you probably shouldn't be involved in. Uh, high-minded, swollen with conceit, uh, blind. I think this one goes hand-in-hand hand with our last chapter about patience with prisoners. High-minded means that you really feel like you're on a different plane and you don't really um, understand others very well. You think you're uh, just kind of different and you don't have compassion on those uh, of a lower estate. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That one's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, you choose the things of the world over the things of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. This one's very important because what this means is we're reading all of this list and you're thinking of kind of the worst example of all of that that you can see. So what he's saying here is having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. In other words, these things can come in packages that are hard to discern. So it's not just like oh man, yeah, there's an example of that and I'm just going to avoid it. There's a form of godliness. There is a religion, a religiosity that comes with it so that it can be hard to determine. Now, we're done with that. I know that was tedious. That's hard to get through. I hope you took a couple of notes, just one word for each one. Go back and read that again and kind of look at that your own, yourself uh, maybe this afternoon and, and look at those things because... It's not just that we look out into the culture and try to see those things. One of the things we should do with that information is look inward and say, are, are any of the, has any of these things made inroads into my life? I think that's an important thing for us to do. So you can tell from that list that Paul knows he's in the last days because he begins verses 1 and 2 by saying that these are the kind of people that come in the last days, and then he ends it in verse 5 by saying from to Timothy in that day, right when this was written, he says, from such, turn away. So this is what it's going to be like in the last days, which we're in. So, Timothy, you need to turn away from such. So he's saying definitely uh, we're in the last day. That doesn't mean, uh, well, let me, let me get ahead of myself a little bit there. He says, from such, turn away. They're there, uh, not just coming, but they're also present, and so they are today. All of these things are present in our culture today. When he says avoid them, though, 
He doesn't mean that we look out in our culture and if we see any of these things, that we just don't speak to those people. And we go, you know, there's this tendency of some Christians to say, well, the answer is I'm going to go up in the mountains somewhere and I'm going to buy about 100 acres and I'm going to fence it, you know, and I'm going to put up guard towers and I'm going to, like, ship my food in. See, this would almost be possible now. You used to say this. It might not be possible. I'm just going to Amazon all my stuff in and I'm not going to I'm not going to talk to the world. I'm not going to have anything to do. And then I'll be in good shape. Well, the problem is you're on the inside too. And you're going to be subject to some of these things as well. So that's one problem with the plan. But that's not what Paul is saying by avoid them. He doesn't mean don't ever talk to them. In fact, he he tells Timothy in another place uh, in our next chapter, do the work of the evangelist. So we are to talk to unbelievers. Instead, he means don't hang out with them month after month as though all these things are not real. Don't don't um, don't just have an association with them where that they can rub off on you. So I love this quote. I think this is from Ligon Duncan. I'm not 100% sure, but he said this um, many times. Cherish the gospel and speak it to the perishing. Cherish the gospel and speak it to the perishing. So we should not just avoid them in the sense that we have nothing to do with the world. In fact, we are to influence the world is the actual truth of that. But just the sheer fact that Paul gives us such a long list of evils and shows that Um, He had seen a lot of this in his day. He had thought a lot about the way that sin uh, ravages human life, and and we see that too. We live in a fallen world, and we see the results of that every day. So we need to grieve over the sin in all of these things. If we see those things in us, we need to grieve over that. We need to uh, be serious about it, and also the sin that we see around us. We need to pray about those things. We need to pray for others who are caught up in some of those things. We need to care for others, uh, especially those that are are led captive by some of the things on this list. So cherish the gospel and speak it to the perishing. Pursue holiness, which pleases the Lord, and speak the gospel to others. So now what does this mean, and why share this list of so many evil and negative things? And um, I think the reason why is because to this point, Paul's been talking a lot about this concept but it hasn't gotten really on the practical level. It's been all about, hey, Paul, uh, Timothy, you're going to minister. There's going to be persecutions. There's going to be uh, some things that are coming against you. You need to be prepared for that. Now he's getting very specific. He's getting very practical with Timothy and therefore with you and me too about our battle of faith, uh, the practical living out of our faith in Jesus Christ in a fallen world. So we need to know what we're in the midst of and in what context our warfare will take place so this is i think the easiest way for me to think about it is this is the intelligence report that's coming back from the advanced scouts to the army and saying here here's kind of what the battlefield is going to look like you can prepare you know what you're going into and you need to be prepared for these specific things instead of just hey there's evil in the world timothy he got very specific these are specific things that you need to be aware of and and be preparing yourself to come against realize what you're getting into you're in the middle of a mortal conflict it's it's very serious stuff and he's warning us in the same way he's telling us the kind of attitude we need to have and the seriousness with which we need to approach um, living out a christian life in a fallen world so while it's true that when we come together we sometimes we have times of humor we enjoy to talk and laugh and and I'm glad that that's true. That means we all get along and, and have good relationships. But we also must understand the solemn nature of what we do when we come here. We are in the midst of a war. I'll, I'll tell you, 
um, what it reminded me of as I was thinking about this, this aspect of this, this, the solemnness of coming together and, and teaching and learning these things. Um, old uh, Vice President Kamala Harris got herself in trouble. She went over to Europe, and she was in the midst of a press conference, and there's a war going on. People are dying, and she was asked a question and just died laughing, you know, just cackled laughing. Well, of course, immediately somebody's like, man, does she not know that there's people dying in this thing? This is serious business. This is not a laughing matter. Well, we could kind of say the same thing about when we come together and open God's word, it's serious business. Um, it's not that it's not ever appropriate to have a moment of humor, but in general, there's a very solemn nature to what it means to gather together and worship in the context of a battle and of a war. We're joyful, but yet we're sober because there's a war going on and there's a war being brought to bear in our own hearts and lives these things affect us in a real way and so that's what paul is zeroing in here with timothy on that's why the list is so long is because he's getting very very specific so what we're here to do and especially as the ministry we're here to equip men and women boys and girls uh, those who are older those who are younger um, we're those who are married those who are seeking marriage, those who, in all different aspects of life, we're here to equip those people to love the Lord Jesus Christ and be ready to uh, go out and make warfare in this world. That's what we're here, and that's what we're about. When we open God's Word, we are training and equipping ourselves to live a life of faith. So the ministry here is committed to discipling you. Uh, because if you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ... You are in the midst of a fight. And from the moment that you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that he is the Son of God, and I want to repent of my sins and follow him, you're going to become a target. You have entered into a battle, and so you must be equipped then for that battle. So our job is to disciple you, to prepare you, if you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ, to uh, wage a good warfare, to fight a good fight, to keep the faith through all the stages of, of your life young middle-aged parents husbands wives the elderly all of those things and here's the the very sobering part for brother nathan and myself and brother jeff and, and anyone who's called to the ministry we're going to give an account for that so paul was going to give an account so he was making sure that he told timothy these are the things that you can expect these are the things i want you to avoid because he was also going to give an account so it's very very serious business now secondly and, and once again, I'll say, that's a tedious list. We had to get through it. We got through it. Hope you can go back and look at that again. We went through it real quickly. So now we're on to verses 6 and 7. We've gotten through verses 1 through 5. And in verses 6 and 7, we're going to talk about the tactics of the enemy. So the first point was about the battleground itself and the context in which all of this is taking place. Now we're going to talk about the tactics of the enemy. What is it that the enemies do, and how are they um, attacking the people of God? So there's a tendency for us to see that whole list of evil traits, you know, as a picture of what's happening out there, okay? So in other words, it's, we don't internalize it very much. We just say, man, it's bad out there. Man, that world is just going, you know, man, it's, it's just going down the wrong path. Look at all these lists of things that Paul says are happening out there well this is the scary part let's read in verses six and seven for of this sort are they which creep into houses 
and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we see this as a picture of happening, what's happening outside of the household of faith, having nothing to do with the church itself. And that mindset neglects to understand that the desires of Satan, the desires of these forces of evil, is not to sit out there and wreak havoc. It's to creep into houses. It's to creep into this house, the church. It's to creep into your house, at your home and your family, and do as much damage as possible. So Paul uh, is talking about the false teaching that is encroaching on the church in this passage. It's one of the things that's in his mind in this passage. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy in order to build a ministry mindset in Timothy and in his congregation, and therefore, by extension, you and I, uh, and not to expect life and ministry in the Christian church and in our world and culture to be easy, but rather to be very difficult because we're being called to warfare, not to ease and, and rest. So notice the terminology here. He says, creep into houses. So do you think it's possible for the kinds of evil things that we discussed earlier, that whole big list, I'm not going to read it again, uh, but do you think it's possible for those things that we discussed earlier to creep into the house of God and affect this place? Oh, it's absolutely possible. And in fact, it's so possible that churches cease to exist because they, it creeps in, it wreaks havoc, and it scatters those things. And we're going to that's not the end of the story, and I'm going to get to that in the end. There's good news about that as well. But we must take it seriously, um, this idea of these things creeping in. They begin to influence and lead astray. Uh, so we must pray for spiritual discernment. So this section, number two, I told you, you know, the title of it is The Tactics of the Enemy. Really kind of a subtitle would be spiritual discernment because that's what this is really about. We've got to have spiritual discernment to be able to see these things and not allow them to creep in. We've got to identify them before they get a foothold in the church and they begin to influence and, and lead astray. So we need to pray for spiritual discernment in order to identify and combat against those things that would creep into our house. So I'll give you a few examples because these things that there's three examples I'm going to give you and the, the bad news that I'm going to tell you is they have creeped in in some houses. These, these three things are, are destroying churches as we speak and destroying the truth in some places as we speak. The first one is critical race theory. So this idea in our culture, this philosophy of man, has, believe it or not, it was on the outside and it was wreaking havoc in our culture. Sadly, what happened is it actually creeped into the church. There are pastors now that are, you know, just really just have have fallen for this philosophy and it's it's destroying their church it is anti-gospel it is not biblical at all and if you don't understand what that is i hope maybe one wednesday night we can really kind of unpack what that is but it really kind of divides it, it's it's kind of seen by some as anti-race but it, it's really racism in disguise it divides it says that some people are oppressors and some people are oppressed, and that there's nothing you can do about that, and no matter what you feel, think, or believe, you're still an oppressor, or you're still an oppressed person, and you'll never get out of that category, no matter what you do. It is, it is harmful. It is not good. So that's one thing that has creeped in into some houses. 
Another one is, and this one's been around for a long time, the prosperity gospel. I've already mentioned it. That's dangerous as well. And it's, it's been preached for years and years and years and years. And that's basically, that one's pretty easy to explain. That's just, man, if you do what you're supposed to do and you pray and you sow your seed, you know, you give a check to the church, then God's going to multiply that in your life. And you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Everything's going to go your way. Um, Joel Osteen's book, Every Day's a Friday. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus, every day's a Friday. I, that, I miss that scripture where it says that. That's not true at all. So that prosperity gospel is also dangerous. And then the last one is the LGBTQ agenda. It is dangerous. It's dangerous. And I will tell you this. When I say it's creeping into the house, you may not know this. We're kind of sheltered from this in a great extent here in northeast Mississippi, but not for long. Not for long. It's coming. Uh, and it's already here in a lot of ways. I have to deal with it uh, in a Christian school uh, on, a, on a pretty regular basis. And it's going to get more and more and more. So that, that's something that we've got to keep our eye on and not let it creep in the house as well. The Bible's very clear on those issues, and so we need to stand on those things. But that's just three. There's more. There, those are big ones right now. There's more. There's a lot of things. There's doctrinal error. There is um, a lot of other things that we could talk about. In fact, um, that's one reason why I'm working on right now having a group of men come together and go all the way back to 1689 and reaffirm what our forefathers said they believed in 1689. Because if you don't, the, the creep can happen in two ways. It can be that things creep in or that we creep out. <laughs> and I think, you know, we can drift. In fact, um, one of the men that I've been discussing this with a lot, he's actually writing a book right now on that topic, on the 1689 London Confession of Faith, our forefathers, and what our actual Primitive Baptist forefathers believed, and the the working title of the book that was given to him by somebody else is Adrift. Now that's, that's sad, isn't it? That the title of the book would be Adrift, that we have moved away maybe from some of the things that our forefathers believed. So we have to be careful in, in both ways. So what those men did in 1689 is they, they put a stake in the ground. That's the way I see it. They put a stake in the ground and they said, this is where we stand. This is the things that we believe to be true. And so I'd like to see us do that again. Well, in modern terms, you could say they dropped a pin in, in Google Maps. They put a pin there and said, this is where we are. So this is where we believe that the truth is. And so we want to get back to that if we're not there already. We want, that's where we want to be is where the truth is. So that leads us to this, this second point of spiritual discernment. Paul's going to remind us of the importance of spiritual discernment. Now, he tells Timothy about the tactics of those who are desiring to infiltrate the church, and he's telling Timothy and the congregation at Ephesus, and he's telling you and me today as Christians too, but that we need to be aware of the methods of deceptive teachers. And this is, this is how he says it. I'm going to read it one more time. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laid with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, is, the Paul, is Paul throwing women under the bus here? That's a question, right? And I know you might have been thinking it. Like, well, my goodness, he's unloading on these women. He called them silly women. It's all the women's fault. They're the ones being led astray. That's this, it's just like Eve, you know. Eve was the one that was deceived, not Adam. Well, and I promise you I'm going to balance this, but no, that's not what he's doing at all. He is not kind of, he's not throwing women under the bus here. 
Uh, in fact, do you remember the way that he started this book? How did he start this book? He said, Timothy, you know the faith that I see in you? I saw it in your grandmother. I saw it in your mother. I saw the way they taught you. Were they silly women that were led captive and, and drawn away? No, those were two women of faith. So he's not saying that all the women are the problem and they're the ones that are allowing this, this creeping into the houses to happen. So what is he doing then? Well, I think he's doing two things. First of all, he's telling you about an actual real tactic that was being used by the false prophets in his day. In other words, this is something that really happened. This is history. So he's saying in the Ephesian church, this was going on. There were false teachers who were going into houses and leading women astray. And these women were of a certain type, and he describes that. So uh, he's telling us of an actual tactic that they were literally going into the homes of women who had been introduced to faith in Christ through the preaching of faithful teachers like Timothy and Paul and others. And they were actually going into their homes while their husbands were away, and they were um, presenting their false teaching and trying to make disciples out of them, and they were bringing them under their own influence and introducing them to false teaching. So in verse 6, he says uh, that they're going to take advantage of a lack of spiritual discernment and a lack of biblical truth and knowledge. And so what does he say when he says silly women? What does that mean? Well, that word silly, I really don't know how it got translated silly. I'll just be honest with you. That one's a tough one for me in the King James. It really means small, small or weak or little, diminutive. That's what the word means. It's an adjective. And so it's describing the women. So really, the idea there is, is weak-willed, weak-minded, um, little. Um, their minds and their hearts and wills have not been sufficiently fortified by biblical truth, so they are vulnerable. Another one would be to say vulnerable. These were vulnerable women. Not just all women, but these women were vulnerable. Now, that made them an easy target. So what our goal would be is to make everyone in our church, whether you're a man, woman, child, or whatever, um, that we don't have easy targets for those to come in and lead you astray. I think one of the examples that I went to real quickly on this one was, I hope, I hope, my hope is, my prayer is, that we have prepared, and this is probably a little close to home for me right now, it's probably why it came to my mind, I hope that we've prepared you enough that when you go to college, you're not an easy target. Because guess what's coming? the philosophies of the world. They're coming. They're coming. They're going to come after you. And if you're not grounded, if you don't have spiritual discernment to be able to say, well, that professor is crazy. I don't, I don't care what he says. I don't believe that. That doesn't go with the Bible. That's not what I've been taught. Then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be an easy target. That would make you a silly woman, as, as uh, Paul describes here. Saying all those things, though, I think it would be neglectful of me if I left this passage without, without further comment on that subject, though. So while Paul was not labeling all women as, women as silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, he was, however, showing us the danger of getting away from the biblical and divine structure of the family. Men should be leaders and protectors in their homes, and that's in more than one way. That's in a physical way, in, a, in just a natural things, but that's also in spiritual things. So if... I think the, the tactic here was to divide and conquer. Get the women away from men and then kind of lead them to your way and then maybe they'll lead the other your way. Maybe they'll influence then the men to follow them. So men should be leaders and protectors not only in the physical, practical sense, but also in spiritually leading and protecting their families 
from being influenced by false teachers and false ideologies. So that's the balance that I think you need to bring to that passage. But secondly, he's telling us this for another reason too, and that's because he wants us to look at the leverage that these false teachers had over these women. There was leverage there. So these women, there was something, there was another detail that Paul included that was also very important. He said that these women, he described them as laden with sins and led away with divers' lust. So we're going to look at both those phrases. And I think this gave those false teachers some leverage over these women. Laden with sins tells us that they are burdened with sin. Their consciences are pressed so that they can be easily persuaded by some new teaching or so-called remedy to ease their consciences. Uh, so do you think there are those out there today that are on television or on the Internet or, you know, that are selling some version of religion that might ease your conscience and, and those without spiritual discernment might fall for some of that false teaching? <laughs> I mean, what is the prosperity gospel? <laughs> Everything's good. You're all right. You know, there's even some doctrines among our people that I believe that's one of the big problems with them. It doesn't matter how you live right now. It's irrelevant. It's okay. You can live any old way. You can serve a false religion. God, God's got you taken care of. That's, that is terrible. That's not the truth of the Bible. And it, it leads to unholy life, which then leads to a vulnerableness to false, more false doctrine. So we need to be really careful about that aspect. So he says that um, they're creeping into the lives of Christians that are not vigilant, uh, yeah, vigilant uh, through these different mediums and they're being because of their guilt over their sin they're not handling that the right way and that's being used as leverage against them well i know you feel this way and i know this preacher told you this but no you know here's what you really need to do here's what you really need to think this is how you need to approach that so there was leverage over them because they were laden with sins now the second one says led away with divers lust well before i go to that one to finish up on the other I think that's also why we must really understand the gospel. Did you know that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, that, that Jesus not only paid the penalty for your sins, but he also released you from the power of sin? If you don't know that, if you don't live in that way, then those things can be used as leverage against you. Satan will come to you and say, who do you think you are? You know, oh, you really believe this, what they're telling you? Well, this is what you are, and they'll, they'll point your sins out. Well, the, the beauty of the gospel is Christ freed us from those things. We're no longer slaves to sin. And so these women evidently um, were not you know, aware of that in a real way, and that was used as leverage against them. Now, led away with divers lusts. What does that mean? Well, it really kind of, if we just, in first reading, when you say led away with divers lusts, when we use the word lust. We're usually talking about a certain category of sin and a certain category of things, but that doesn't mean what we normally associate that word with today. It's a hunger or lust for new teachings, to hear new things, to try new approaches. I think there's a, a danger for all of us in this. So I love to read good Christian books. I'm reading two right now, um, and, and those are good, but we have to have some spiritual discernment in those things. So if you read, be really careful because... Did you know that there are no new approaches <laughs> in Christianity? The Bible is the Bible. God has his way, and it's always been that way, and it doesn't change. So there's nothing new under the sun. If you're waiting for me and Brother Nathan to come up here and just blow your mind with this new approach, 
then you, know, you need to go somewhere else because we're not going to. We're going to preach the word to you, and there's only one way, and it's God's way. And so these women, they were always wanting to hear new things. So you hear that in the next verse. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They were always learning new stuff. They, they liked the new thing, whatever the new, you know, what are some of the trends? I'm trying to think. I should have wrote some of these down ahead of time, but um, Prayer of Jabez, y'all remember that one? I mean, it was all over the place. It was every Bible bookstore you went in, they had a Prayer of Jabez section and like 20,000 books on it, pictures you can hang on the wall and all that, and then false teaching about it. If you actually read the books, a lot of it was not, not good. So you got to have some spiritual discernment and don't always just be about learning some new thing or, or some new way. I think that's really what he's, he's speaking of there. 2 Timothy 4.3 says in the very next chapter, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, same word as in the previous chapter, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's the same concept. Okay, that's what, Tim, that's what he's talking about here in chapter 3 too. They just want to hear some new thing. They just, they had a desire to hear new approaches and new ways of thinking, and that can be very dangerous as well. Now, let's wrap up. There is good news. been a lot of, of things to be worried about and a lot of negatives and a list of 18 sins that we had to go through. But this is the good news in verses 8 and 9. So our third point is the assurance of our ultimate victory. The assurance of our ultimate victory. So there's one last thing that we want to unpack from the text, and that's in verses 8 and 9, and it's this. False prophets will not win. They will not win. They can affect. They can cause us problems. Um, they can temporarily lead us uh, astray. They can, they can do some damage, but in the end, they will not win. No matter how bad it gets, the false prophets will not win. Christ will build his church. And Christ is the foundation of the church, and the church will not perish. The false prophets will not prevail. Their deeds, their teaching, their lies, all of those things will be brought into the light, and they will fail. And that's vital for us to know. It was vital for Timothy to know. It's vital for you and I to know as well. Now, it says in verse 8, and I had to look up pronunciation on these names. So it's Ianes and Iambres. That's their names. And these guys, you're going to recognize because Brother Nathan's been preaching in Exodus. And you say, well, what in the world does that have to do with Exodus? These are the magicians. When, when Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh and Aaron threw the rod down, what happened to it? Turned into a snake, right? We just heard that. Brother Nathan just preached on this passage. So he throws it down. It turns into a serpent. These are the two men that came. And guess what they did? They did the same thing by dark art that's really scary to me i mean they were able to do it they they really performed that miracle through dark powers they threw theirs down and guess what they turned into snakes too and we're i'm not trying not to get ahead of myself because i want to ruin it right now because we know the end of the story but that's who these people are so they did produce some amazing things on the front end they were able to duplicate some of the miracles but not all remember they couldn't do lice he, he, Pharaoh told them to do that too. They, they couldn't do it. They did turn water to blood. They threw down the, the staffs and turned them into serpents. So there were some of the things that they were able to do, but not all. 
And so what a lesson for us and what a comfort to know that the false prophets will, as in our text, the way it says it in our text, but they shall proceed no further. There is a limit to what they're going to be able to do. Their folly will be manifest to all as was these magicians during the time of Moses and Aaron. They were able to do some amazing things on the front end, but you remember the end of the story. What's the end of the story? Yes, they, Pharaoh called them up. These two men, they threw their rods down, but they didn't get their rods back. <laughs> they didn't have a rod anymore <laughs> because Aaron's rod ate their rod, right? So they didn't, they weren't, Aaron was able to pick his back up and his turn back into a rod. They didn't have a rod anymore because they were, theirs was eaten <coughs> by Aaron's rod. So Aaron's serpent consumed the other serpent. They had a form of godliness. So it looked like something on the front end, right? I mean, what if somebody came in here right now and they threw a stick down on the floor and it turned into a snake? Would you think that they had some power? Would you think that maybe there's something unique about them or special about them? That's hard. That's, you're talking about some hard spiritual discernment now because it looks like something on the front end. We've got to really pray for good spiritual discernment. They had a form of godliness, but were really and truly men of corrupt minds and reprobate concerning the faith. That's what our text says about them. They shall proceed no further. Also, these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate, reprobate concerning the faith. That means they're not children of God. They, they don't have faith. So what we need to understand then is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. While it's important for us to know the conditions of the battlefield in which we fight and the tactics of the enemy and all these things that we've talked about, Yet, through all of that, we must never fret. We must never lose sight of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Are all of these things dangers? Yes. A resounding yes. But ultimately, we have victory already through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has secured salvation for his people. He is victorious, and through him, we are no longer slaves to sin. Jesus not only freed us, as we said, from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin in your life so when you're born again when you're regenerated and converted you are a new creature in christ jesus you're no longer a slave to sin but you're free to follow christ and walk in newness of life to turn away from these things and what i believe is that the spirit indwells you and so our spiritual discernment that's where we need to get our spiritual discernment we need to pray that the spirit would teach our spirit those things that we need to avoid and that those things would be you know, made real to us and made, we would be made aware of those through the Spirit working in us. So to close, if you've, if you've never for, come forward and publicly identified yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've never come forward and said, I believe in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins and followed him, then I urge you to not delay. Do that today. Be baptized. Join with his people as we continue to resist the influence of the world and follow after Christ.